I believe Joshua had such respect from his family. I believe they had watched him and his choices and his integrity and his influence and his courage and his boldness and his prayer life were so attractive that everybody made the same choice because they wanted the same blessing that he saw on Joshua's house. You want that blessing on your house? Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. This morning, we'll continue in the Onward series with a message called House Rules. In last week's message, we learned that Joshua's last declaration to the people of Israel was that he and his household would serve the Lord. Today, Pastor Trent will help us take a closer look at what's happening in our own homes. Can it be said of us that we and our households have chosen to serve the Lord? Let's listen now to part one of the message and hear the first of three distinctive choices that we must make if we're going to serve the Lord. Here's Pastor Trent. Let me invite you to open your Bible to Joshua chapter 24. We finally made it to the final chapter of Joshua as we've been marching verse by verse. And I told you last week, I preached all the other 24 chapters so that we could finally get to verse 15. One of the most famous verses in the Bible, some of you have this verse on welcome mats on your front porch, some of you have it hanging somewhere in your home. I want us to read it here this morning, let's all get our eyes on this verse, Joshua 24 verse 15, it says this, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your fathers that they served in the region beyond the river. Those were the old gods. But then if you're not happy with the old gods, there are new gods available. He says the gods of the Amorite in whose land you now dwell. But here's the famous part. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So last week we talked about the me. It was an individual choice. This morning, we're going to talk about my house. Here's the big idea of the message. The direction of my house will be determined by the ruler of my heart. What we're going to learn is our choice is going to extend beyond ourselves. Yes, I'm going to challenge you to think beyond yourself this morning. I know that's a challenge in our very individualistic, autonomous society. But I want you to think beyond yourself because this morning we're going to learn how my choice is going to affect my house. You see, there are other people and other things in your house. How many of you have some little me's in your house? Are there some others? How many of you have more than one little me in your house? And the decisions you're going to make is going to impact the little me's. But it's not just people, it's stuff. There is some stuff. And there are some things. I think I could draw a car this morning. That's a really bad car. But there's stuff that the Lord has given us, and that's what makes up our house. Let's talk about what is this house. When Joshua said, as for me, we know who the me was, but what was the house? 
and not just what was Joshua's house, what is your house? What does it mean? Well, we're going to define the house this way. A house, your house, is everyone and everything God has given you that you are responsible for. You got it? Now, I want you to begin to make a list in your mind. Some of you, when we talked about the little me's, you should be thinking about the names of the little me's in your house. You got them? If you're married, that would include your spouse. If you're a parent, that would include your children. How many of you still have little me's living in your house? Okay. I mean, have little me's taking over your house. Uh, messing up your house, okay? Well, that's part of your house, but it's, it goes beyond people to stuff. How many of you, God has given you some stuff? How many of you would like God to bless your stuff? There's something you can do to get God's blessing on your stuff. Here's the two things we need to think about when we think about the inventory in our house. First of all, it all came from God, which means I should thank him. How often do you thank him for your spouse and you thank him for your children? And then beyond your, the people in your house, thank him for the stuff. Every dollar in every bank account, every car, every piece of clothing, every piece of furniture, every golf club, every rat in the basement. I don't know. All the stuff in your house. Everything comes from God. And here's the second thing. Everything in your house, listen, is to be used in service to God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to use the stuff in our house to serve the Lord. Is that true of the stuff and the people that God has given. What does God say about our house? There's a lot of different verses in the Scripture that mention a house. Let's look at this one. Proverbs 3, verse 33 says this, The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked. How many of you want to sign up for that plan? You want an alternative plan? Here's a better plan. But He blesses the dwelling of the righteous. And so there are two distinct ways that we can deploy our house. We can either to use it to serve righteous purposes or we can use it to serve wicked purposes. And whichever choice you make is going to determine whether or not you receive the Lord's blessing or you receive the Lord's curse. I don't know about you, I want to sign up for the blessing plan. Anybody with me here this morning? That's what we're going for in this message. Here's another verse about our house. Proverbs 14.1 says, "...the wisest of women..." builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Now, I just want to take this opportunity to let you know that the blessing that is in my house and on my house is primarily due to a very wise woman um, that manages and builds the house that I am living in. I am the recipient of the blessing of a very wise woman named Andrea that has built a house that is receiving the blessing of God. And the wisest of men will stay out of the way 
of a wise woman who is building her house. But a wise man will step into a situation where there is a foolish woman tearing it down. And so we are responsible for what's going on in our house. And our responsibility is to build it. There's some things we have to do to build a house that receives God's blessing. Proverbs 24 verse 3 says this, By wisdom a house is built. And by understanding, it is established. It's hard to build a house that serves the Lord. Everything in our society is going to stand against you building a home that is used in service for the Lord. And so there's got to be wisdom and forethought about the intentional choices you make in the house. It's built with understanding. Proverbs 120, I'm sorry, Psalm 127 verse 1 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And so you can be a really good person, you can be a really smart person, you can put a bunch of rules up in your house, but if that house is not dedicated to and used in service for the Lord, you're wasting your time. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And so we want God's blessing on our house. Let me ask you, um, who is living in your house? Now, there's a lot of different living situations here. I've lived in different circumstances. And when we talk about a house, understand we're not talking about a residence that you may have a quarter-acre lot or a five-acre lot. That's one type of house. Of course, we think of that. But some of you live in apartments. How many of you live in an apartment? Okay. How many of you live, um, how many of you live alone? I remember there was a season I lived alone and I kind of liked living alone because I never had a fight with myself. I never argued with myself, you know, and uh, if the house was messy, there was nobody to blame but me. So I could clean it up. I could leave it messy if I wanted to because nobody cared. It was just me. And so there was, there's some advantages of living by yourself. How many of you live, um, anybody live um, in a trailer? You probably wouldn't admit it in church. Uh, for 15 years, it's what I did. And uh, it's amazing. In 400 square feet, six people living in 400 square feet, mobile, everything you own had to fit in the trailer. Life's really simple uh, that way. When your house is small, your problems seem to be a little smaller. I don't know about you, but the bigger my houses get, the more complex it is, I, the more time I have to spend painting it and repairing it and, and, and spending money on it. So whether you live in a house or an apartment or a condo or a trailer or whether or not this morning as a man you're living in the doghouse, we need to understand that there are some responsibilities we have to make this house useful in service to the Lord. Here's, a, here's the next question. What is happening in your house? What is the atmosphere in your house? What's the tone? What are the words? What are the attitudes in your house? Is that atmosphere something that you are pleased with? What direction is your house moving? You know what the promise of Joshua 24, 15 is? It is this, that no matter what's going on in your house, it can be changed with a choice by me. 
Understanding that my choices are going to affect the atmosphere in my home. That's what we're going after today. Now, some of us are more concerned with what's happening in the White House than what's happening in my house. Do you understand that really you've got relatively little influence in the White House, and yet you have amazing influence at your house? And my prayer, and one of the purposes of this church, is to get people to build a house that is so beautiful and so attractive and so influential that if enough of us were able to build a house that serves the Lord, it would spill over into neighborhoods, it would spill over into churches, it would spill over into schools, it would spill over into communities, it would spill over into a nation and eventually affect what's happening at the White House. If you want to impact what's happening at the White House, you might want to spend a little more time working on what's happening in your house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, as you read that, the question that I've asked of this passage is this, how could Joshua be so bold in his declaration to believe that his choice was going to determine the choices of the other little me's in his family. It's a pretty bold statement, right? It's almost as if he made the choice for the family. Does that mean he brought all of his family together and he said, you're going to serve the Lord and I'm going to put my foot on your neck until you say, uncle, you're serving the Lord along with me, right? Is that what Joshua did? No. I believe Joshua had such respect from his family. I believe they had watched him for a hundred years or however long that they had lived with him, and his choices and his integrity and his influence and his courage and his boldness and his prayer life were so attractive that everybody made the same choice because they wanted the same blessing that he saw on Joshua's house. You want that blessing on your house? You want to make the choice and have everybody say, hey, we want to make that choice with you, then there's three things that we're going to have to do. Here's three commitments I want to challenge you to make. If you want a distinctly Christian home that serves the Lord, here's three choices we're going to have to make. Would you make this choice? My house will be established by commitment. I don't want to race too too fast past the obvious here, that Joshua was not just an individual. He was the leader of a household. Now, in order to become a leader of a household, you must make a commitment. And the obvious commitment, there's two obvious commitments here. First of all, he had made the commitment to the Lord that this would be a house that serves the Lord. That's a vertical commitment. We talked about that last week. Hope you've made that. But once you've made the vertical commitment to the Lord... It spills over into a horizontal commitment to everyone and everything else in your house. How does a commitment get established? I lived the first 27 years of my life as an individual. I lived from the age of 15 to 27 
as one committed that this individual would be serving the Lord. But at the age of 27, on December the 17th, 1994, at 2 p.m., I stood in front of a wonderful woman that I had deceived into marrying me. Actually, I won her heart. And I committed my life to this woman. And she committed her life to me. And we established a new house through the covenant, love, commitment of something called, wait for it, wait for it, it's a new concept, marriage. Have you heard of it? Have you heard of it? It was not an institution of man. It was an institution created by God. God initiated marriage. He's the only one that has the right to define it. And until God terminates it, we have no right to terminate it either, either the institution or the individual commitment. My house will be established by commitment. So how's it going at your house? Now, listen, as, as we talk about this, there, there was a study that came out this week. It was by Pew Research, a, a research firm does lots of surveying, very scientific surveys, and they, they stumbled onto a discovery, something new that is happening in our culture today that hasn't happened for 130 years. Here's what they found out. <clears throat> that adults between the ages of 18 and 34, those are the millennials, they discovered that the most likely house that that age group lives in is in mom and dad's house. Now, if you're between the ages of 18 and 34, and you're living at mom and dad's house, there could be some very good reasons for that to happen. But if the reason you're still living at mom and dad's house is because you are afraid of a commitment to establish your own house, you might want to get with the program and grow up and make a choice to establish a new house. Marriage is God's tool to scrub off selfishness from your life. You see, marriage and selfishness are mortal enemies of one another. Marriage will kill selfishness. Thought I might get an amen out of somebody out of there. Is, how many of you, your wife, your, your husband is doing a pretty good job scrubbing off, at least exposing some selfishness in your life? You see, if you go through your entire life without actually living in a house with a mate, you might think you're not a very selfish person. I didn't think I was a very selfish person for 27 years. I've lived the last 21 years with a mirror in front of me that is reflecting my selfishness. It's called a spouse. And marriage will kill selfishness. Here's the flip side of that coin. Selfishness will kill your marriage. Selfishness and marriage cannot peacefully coexist. 
And so it is through the establishment of a marriage commitment that God sanctifies the selfishness in my life. Another thing that that Pew Research article found was this, that it is likely that one in four Americans now will go through their entire lives without getting married. One in four. Now, there, there are purposes for singleness. Do you know about this? As a matter of fact, I, I hope you hear that I, I am not down on singleness. When I was single, I had freedom to serve the Lord that I don't have anymore. The Bible actually says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that uh, a married man is concerned and anxious about his wife, and he should be. If you are married and you're not concerned about your wife, you're not a very good married person. But if you are married, you have concerns and you have to serve your wife. That peels off layers that you could actually use time, resources to serve the Lord. If you are a single person, do you have, do you understand you have freedom to serve the Lord in the ways that married people don't? Use your singleness to serve the Lord. But if you're using your singleness to serve yourself, you might want to consider the benefits of marriage to scrub off some of the selfishness in your life. And so God's number one tool to sanctify our selfishness is marriage. God designed marriage as that number one tool to scrub off some of our selfishness. Now, in our culture, interestingly, as the desire to get married declines... The desire for love, companionship, relationship, and sex has not declined. So what do you do with a person who wants the benefits of marriage without the commitment of marriage? We come up with all kinds of alternatives to God's plan, and um, one of those that is increasingly popular is to move into the same house and live together pretending to be married, everything but a commitment. And the arguments are incredibly foolish for this type of arrangement. People that say, well, you know, before you buy a new car, you want to test drive it. That's right, because your relationship with the car is a performance-based relationship. Marriage is not a performance-based relationship. What you're saying is, I want a performance-based relationship with the other person. If this other person performs well, if they make me happy, and if they do all the things that I expect them to do, then I'll stay in the relationship. But the moment the performance declines, I'm going to look for another vehicle. That's what you're saying. Now, it's interesting, if if, if you didn't even look at the Bible... If you just looked at sociology, would it be a wise choice for two people to live in the same house pretending to be married without a commitment? Do you understand that couples who live together prior to marriage, once they get married, they have twice as likely a probability to divorce as those who don't live together prior to marriage. So does that make sense? 
No, that doesn't make sense. Do you understand that couples who live together are eight times as likely to cheat on one another as married couples? Why? Because you're undermining the trust in the relationship if you're trying to pretend to be married without establishing the commitment. People say it all the time to me. They say, well, we're... We're married in our hearts. You know, we've been together for so long. We're just married in our hearts. You're married in your pants. That's your motivation. And we give me that stuff about married in your heart. Other people say, well, we're married in God's eyes. You're sinning in God's eyes. You're inviting a curse rather than a blessing if you're pretending to be married without the commitment. And if you're having sex together before you're married, sex outside of the marriage commitment, do you understand what you're saying to your partner? You are saying to your partner, I am the kind of person who will have sex with a person that I am not married to. So what happens when you actually do get married to this person? You are now living with your spouse, and your spouse knows you are the kind of person who will have sex with someone you are not married to. Do you understand how that undermines the trust and the, the commitment there? Make the commitment. I know what you're saying. We don't need a piece of paper. Yes, you do. You need a piece of paper. Why? Because five years, ten years down the road, when your spouse looks at you and you're ten pounds heavier than you were on the day that they made that commitment to you, and they see someone else, and life is hard, and marriage is requiring to, for scrubbing off some of the selfishness in your life, and your spouse says, you know what, I don't think I feel like being married anymore. See that piece of paper right there? Do you see your name right there where you signed this commitment? I'm just here to remind you, buddy, that's the commitment that you made. Till death do you part. And then the 500 people that showed up at your wedding to witness that, they'll be there. Hey, I saw you make that, that vow. That's a commitment, buddy. You're staying in this thing. Have you made the commitment? I realize I'm probably talking to some people that are living right living together right now, and the seat's getting hot, and your heart's beating out of your chest, and you're looking for an exit door. Hey, welcome to Harvest. We're glad you're here. <laughs> and I will be glad to perform your wedding ceremony at the earliest possible date. Make the commitment. Two people living together without a commitment will tear each other apart. But two people... Living together with a marriage commitment is the greatest tool that God has to show the gospel to the world because the world is going to watch how you deal with sin. They're going to watch whether or not you can forgive and love one another on your worst day. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did to us. He loved us on our worst day. He forgave our worst sin. Marriage is the greatest place to reflect the glory of God. Have you made the choice to establish your house by commitment? Pastor Trent Griffith has been reminding us that God calls his people to put off what is culturally acceptable in pursuit of his highest and best for us. Strong homes begin with a commitment to marriage, 
even before marriage. Join us next week for the conclusion of the message and two more distinctly Christian choices we must make to serve the Lord. We also invite you to join us for a weekend worship service at Harvest Bible Chapel Granger on one of our two campuses in Granger, Indiana or St. Joseph, Michigan. You can find service times and campus locations on our website, harvestgranger.org. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus, and I'm glad you've been with us here today. I hope that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.